speak to you now in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You may be seated. So how many of you all uh, remember Father Brian Holland? He used to be here, and he had my uh, position as an associate priest here uh, before I got here. Uh, But what you may not know is that Father Brian Holland uh, was my professor at Malone. And Malone uh, University is where I really began to explore uh, God with my mind, uh, where I really began to do theology. Uh, And uh, in his class, uh, I took a class with Father Brian Holland, and uh, in his class, uh, he taught me two things that I'll uh, I'll never forget. Number one, a text can never mean what it never meant. A text can never mean what it never meant. What is he saying? A biblical text can never mean today what it never meant back then. Context is everything, if you will. And the second thing he taught me is that theology is the study of God and that we are called to love the Lord our God with everything in us, including our mind. Uh, The study of the theology, the study of God, the study of God. I went to seminary uh, and... I heard a better definition uh, for theology. Uh, don't tell Father Brian Holland I said this, but I heard a better definition uh, for theology. And this one is faith-seeking understanding. Faith-seeking understanding. You see, in the first definition of theology, the study of God, uh, in our modern context, it kind of limits, maybe, uh, limits who can study God. You must have a degree or must be a priest or must have a professional degree or something in order to study God. And then it's your responsibility to teach everyone else who doesn't know. But in the other definition, faith seeking understanding, it kind of invites the whole church to participate in the study of God. It invites the whole church, everyone who has faith, to seek what it is that they actually believe about God, to kind of get to know who God is. This is what's going on in our text. We hear the Shema, Shema, O Israel. Uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Or if you were in, uh, if I was, if you were in Israel, uh, like I was uh, earlier this year, they would say, Shema Israel, Elonai, Eloheinu, Elonai, Akkad. The Lord our God is one. This was the, the Jewish creed, if you will, the first Jewish creed. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Loving God was important to them. Well, that's where we pick up in our text. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me. Turn with me uh, to Mark uh, chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Uh, We're going to start here at verse uh, 28. Uh, But before I do, uh, let me allow me to give you some context so you understand what's going on in the text. As I was preparing for this sermon, uh, I was reading N.T. Wright. Uh, N.T. Wright is uh, a retired bishop and a world-renowned biblical scholar. Uh, And he is talking about the importance of this text. Jesus is getting to the things that really matter. And in this passage, he's going to address the things that really matter. He's asked the question, what is the most important thing about God? What should we keep in the, in the law and in, uh, what sh- in the commandments? What should we hold together? What should we keep? Of the ten, which one is most important? What's the, what does it all hang on? Uh, uh, N.T. Wright says uh, that we ought to think of it this way if we're going to understand the, the context. Imagine, uh, if you will, uh, God forbid, but imagine that you were sleeping uh, and in the middle of the night you were, awakened, you were awakened by the sound of a smoke detector, a fire is, is your, your house is burning and smoke is billowing out of your house, what would you grab? What would you grab? Who would you grab? And what would you have with you? 
And if you went across to the street where it's safe and you're watching uh, your house burn down, what would you have in your possession? Who would be with you? Would it be your kids? What would you have in your possession? Would it be uh, a passport or maybe a, uh, some important documents, a safe maybe? Or maybe uh, you, you go and you grab uh, an important photo. What is it if you're going to start your life all over again and you had 30 seconds to grab the most important things, what would you grab? This is the same kind of question that the, uh, that the, the scribe here in our context is asking, uh, in our text is asking. What is the most important thing? Jesus, uh, you're a teacher, you are a, 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 rab, a, a rabbi, and, and as a Jew, uh, you know that the, the Ten Commandments are most important. We are to keep the law. We are thoroughly Jewish. But which one is the most important? Now, I've heard this story preached that, that the scribe may have been challenging Jesus, but if you kind of do some study, uh, you understand that it was very common for people uh, to ask questions of the rabbi. And this, common qu- this question, being as important as it is, was asked, asked quite often in those days, uh, for a Jewish man, uh, the, uh, the law, uh, the sacramental worship, uh, and the love of God was most important. And so how uh, Jewish rabbis have tried to summarize uh, this over and over again. You can read throughout antiquity uh, and throughout the writings. You can read the, the summaries of the, of the Ten Commandments. And so this is no challenge, if you will, but he's saying, hey, you're a rabbi. You give us your interpretation. Jesus says what? You shall love the Lord your God. Uh, he says, this is most important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandments greater than, this, than these. Now, it's interesting. He asked the, the, the scribe asked him which commandment is most important. And... Jesus gives him two commandments. He gives them two. He gives them two. He gives them two. Uh, a two-part answer. Well, that's kind of not what he asked. But when we study it a little bit, uh, if you allow me to walk you down through this thing, you'll see that it really does encompass everything that this this uh, scribe was asking. You see, uh, in the last couple of uh, last couple of weeks, uh, we have been talking uh, about discipleship and what disciple isn't and what discipleship is. And in the Gospel of Mark, we've been moving uh, towards Jerusalem. Uh, all, of the story, all of the stories that, and all of the context of the, the passages that we've read have been moving us to Jerusalem. Jesus has been trying to tell his disciples uh, and trying to help them get it that he's going to Jerusalem. He must go and he's about to die. And so he's telling them parable after parable, story after story, and they don't get it. They think they're going to Jerusalem. And the question that they want to know is, who, Jesus, who's going to sit at your right hand and who's going to sit at your left? And as they're, as they're going through the city and Jesus is encountering people, he encounters people like blind Bartimaeus who actually sees with spiritual eyes that Jesus is the Son of God. And as more and more people began to see that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is who he says he is, uh, it, it, it creates some kind of turmoil in the, in the city. Uh, Jesus is going in and people are challenging him and asking him questions. Uh, people are trying to trap him. Uh, he goes into the temple and he sees the, the, that the temple uh, has become a trading post of sorts. And he turns over the tables. He turns over the tables. He's going through and, and, and uh, the religious leaders are trying to trap him and trying to kill him. And at this point, he knows that his death is, is pretty much imminent. And so he gets down to the what is most important. And I think if we're going to understand Jesus' ministry, we must understand what he is saying 
in this text? What is most important? He begins, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And right away, all the Jewish people in the, uh, in, in, in the audience at that time in the crowd would recognize that Jesus is quoting the Shema, Deuteronomy, 4, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Uh, he is quoting the Shema, this, this uh, uh, passage, this creed, this important part of their faith. He is saying, hey, I'm thoroughly Jewish. Here, listen up. The Lord our God is one, and worship of him is right. Worship of him is right. For Jews, the worship of God meant that we kept the law. That they devoted themselves to the, to the temple and the sacrificial system and that they did all of these things uh, that the law told them to do in the law of Moses. But it's, it's possible to do all the right things and still not have a right heart. It is possible to keep the law and to, to keep Sabbath and to only walk so many feet on the Sabbath and to do all these things and become so legalistic and so caught up in this thing that you miss the, the heart of it. This is why the prophet Isaiah says, uh, these people honor me with their heart, but they uh, honor me with their mouths, uh, and, and, uh, uh, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me with vain rules taught by men. How can you do that? I mean, we're keeping the law, we're going to church all the time, we're doing all the right things. But do you know who God is? Do you know who God is? And this is, this is what Jesus is getting at. Because you can, keep all the, you can do all the right things and miss the heart of the matter. Jesus is saying, hey, we've got to love God with everything in us. Uh, one interpretation says with our loins, with our very being, with our innermost part, we've got to love God with everything in us. It's got to get deep into our fiber and not just become an outward thing, which, which we do and, uh, to be seen, but it must get inside of us. And if it gets inside of us, it gets into our hands and into our feet. And we began to live this thing out. The law becomes inscribed on our hearts and we began to live this thing out. This is how he gets to the second portion of it. And the second is this, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. As you begin to love God and it gets down in the inside of you and it begins to come out, Jesus says you shall, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this was a radical, I mean radical teaching. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, we've got to give you some context here. Uh, up until this point, uh, up until the time of Jesus, uh, Leviticus 19.18 uh, actually defined uh, what your neighbor was. And it really was uh, the brother of your people. So loving your neighbor, they were good at doing that, loving your neighbor. But what that really meant is that they loved other Jews. They, it was really, really kind of, kind of closed-minded. This is why Jesus says it's easy. It's easy to love people like you. I'm calling you to love people that aren't like you. I'm calling you to love your enemies, not just people who do the things you like to like to do and have the similar things, go to the same country club or hang out in the same places and and all those things. I'm calling you to love people that are completely different than you, even your enemies. This is a radical thing. Uh, in in Luke. Uh, uh, Luke chapter 11, Jesus talks about the good Samaritan in which he defines your neighbor. And it's not a certain sect of Judaism. Jesus, in that story, he begins to tell us, and we begin to see that our neighbor is everyone whom God has made. Because everyone bears the image of God. And as Paul says, how it is impossible to love a God who you can't see and hate your neighbor who you can see. 
You see, you can't, you can't do both. You can't say you love God and hate me. You can't spend all your time in prayer and talk to God and walk past me as if I don't exist. To acknowledge God is to acknowledge the God in me, to acknowledge that I am a bearer of the image of God, that I am a carrier of the presence of God. And so they go both hand in hand. Jesus is unpacking this thing and he's, he's, he's blowing their mind, we think. And the scribe, on, uh, uh, in this case, is actually on board with that. He says, yep, you're right. Uh, verse, uh, verse 32, uh, the scribe says, uh, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, he being God. He is one. Now notice the divine name is, is omitted. This is intentionally, this is, this is thoroughly Jewish. The name of God was so holy that they wouldn't say it. So he, they just refer to him. They have all these different ways in which they refer to God without saying the divine name. So this is he, God. He is one, and there is none other beside him. In verse 33, and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love one neighbors as yourself is much more than all of the, the burnt offerings and sacrifices. This scribe begins to get it. This scribe begins to get it. He says, the most important thing, you're absolutely right. It, it, is, it, is, uh, uh, it is the love of God and the love of neighbor. That's way more important than going to the temple. Well, that was a huge statement because to go to the temple for the Jew was everything. That's all we did. That's what we did. That's what made us Jewish. We went to the temple. So he was, he was completely agreeing with them, but that was against their identity. He was, uh, the scribe uh, was accepting Jesus' challenge of their identity. That your identity isn't found in the things you do. The identity, your identity is found in God alone. And you are not a community because you worship in a right way or you do a certain thing this way. You are a community because you are called by God. Called together by God. That means that Republican Christians are Christians. And Democratic Christians are Christians. And Christians who are black are Christians. And Christians who are white are Christians. This means that, that, he, that the world, uh, that heaven ought to reflect, uh, that, the he, that heaven ought to reflect what's going on in the world. Like, just as the world is multicultural, multi-ethnic, the same thing ought to be in heaven. But so often in our, in our, in our view of church, in our, in our, in our own little churches, it just becomes a, a, a bunch of people who look like us and, and a bunch of people who have similar things. That ought not be so. The church ought to look like heaven. Every kindred, every, every tribe, every tongue under heaven worshiping God together. And our job is to invite people who not just only look like us, but people who don't look like us, but bear the image of God, uh, calling them into the church. And if they don't know that they bear the image of God, our job is to remind them that they do. To remind them what Christ did for them. The scribe is on their side. He says, hey, uh, yep. We don't need the, the sacrifices, all that stuff. Loving God is the most important thing. And he thinks he gets it. He thinks he gets it. And you go on in the rest of the text and it says, uh, Then Jesus saw, uh, w- uh, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, You are not far off from the kingdom of God. And after this, no one dared to ask him any more questions. What do you mean you're not far off from the kingdom of God? He thinks that he's finished well and that he's answered right. He's been a good Jew, right? Context is everything. Remember, Jesus has come to Jerusalem to die. And so I would imagine, maybe, just maybe, that Jesus, when he says, you're not far off from the kingdom of God, he's maybe talking about his crucifixion. You're not far off 
from that. You're not far off from that. You're not far off. And it's all in, the con- it's all in context. He's about to be nailed to the cross. You're not far off from the kingdom of God. What is, he, what is he talking about? You see, up until this point, Jews think they know what love is. Loving, loving people like them and loving God in their way. Jesus is about to go to the cross and show them what true love is and change their entire view and change their entire perception of love. As the colic says, on the hardwood of the cross, Jesus stretched out his arms, embracing, embracing the world, embracing the world. This is love. This is love that you would lay down your life for people who he calls friends. But the scripture says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, calls us friends. While we were sinners, Christ dies for us and calls us friends. That is the context of love. That, you, that Jesus died for people uh, who pe- other people didn't think were worthy, who, who were not a part of the promises of God, who were not connected, who were outside of the temple, who the Jews had wanted nothing to do with, these dirty Samaritans, these dirty Gentiles. Yet Christ dies for them and shows them that real love is this. And that if you're going to love God and you're going to go to church and you're going to do all of these things, it must be rooted in something real, in the love of God. And that translates into his people. That translates into his people. This is why early Christians called each other brother and sister. Because they recognized that, they were a part, that everyone was a part of the family of God. Everyone was a part of the family of God. And it wasn't just this person, and it wasn't just that person, or this church, or this, that, and the other. Everyone was a part of the kingdom of God. Jesus opens up the kingdom of God to everyone. See, the scribe thinks he he has answered the question and done well, but he's not aware that the kingdom of God uh, is about to break out among them. The kingdom of God is not so much a place as it is a person. It is where Jesus is, where, where his people are, where people honor him as Lord and King. See, the kingdom of God is right here among us. And when we leave this place, it will continue to be where we are. This is why the scriptures say, where two or three are gathered together in my name, what? I will be a God in the midst. That's absolutely right. I will be the God in the midst. We are carriers of the presence participants in the kingdom of God. And it's not a place beyond the skies, but it's right here where the people of God are. The kingdom of God is about to break forth and the scribe isn't able to see it quite yet. But we are. We are, and I hope that that's why we've gathered to feast on his body and his blood, to to bask in his presence, to worship him, and to be a part of the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus reminds them, Jesus reminds the, the audience, the scribe there, and maybe all of us, that, that the kingdom of God, uh, that, that, the, that, that the relationship that we have with God, that this, this relationship isn't to be practiced just in church, that it expands far beyond the temple, far beyond the church walls, and it invades our hearts and in our lives. And it is to be lived not in these isolated buildings, but among his people. That the kingdom of God, the, the law and, and, and all of it and everything, all of this thing, all of this 
wraps up in one thing. Love. Loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. All of this, this is what it is to be a Christian. This is why Jesus says, uh, it's not by the size of your Bible, it's not by how you genuflect, it's not by how much money you give that people will know that you're Christians. People will know that you are Christians by the love you have for one another. By the love you have for one another. That's the mark, that's the defining fact. You see, for Jews, again, it, it was the law, it was the sacrificial worship, it was, that was how we expressed God's love. But for, but for disciples of Christ, it's by our love. It's by our devotion to, to, true, to true teaching and faith. It is our belief in, in, in that the word of God is real and what it says we can have. And it's, it's alive among us. It is, it is by believing that we are the people of God. Disciples worship God in spirit and in truth. How, how, how do we do that? In spirit, we, we, we do the things necessary uh, for spiritual growth. And in truth, we live it out. We live it out. You see, Jews, uh, they had forgotten one part of the law. They were so focused on the temple worship that they had forgotten that the law also called them uh, to care for orphans and widows and, and, and the foreigners and all of those things. They were so focused on one part that they forgot the other. And Jesus says, no, you can't have one without the other. They are one and the same. Loving God and loving your neighbor, it's one in the same. It's one in the same. We've come, we've gathered together to bind them together. To bind them together. To worship God in the sacrament of the altar. And to worship him and to love him uh, by loving our neighbors. By acknowledging them as people who have been made in the image of God. What's most important? At the end of your life, when everything else is gone, what, what will you have? Like that fire, what will you be holding in your hand? What will you have? Is it your possessions? Is it, is it what, what will you have? I hope at the end of the day, you have laid hold to Christ. You have lived your whole life with that in mind. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.